Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. What does it mean to be a good man? What does, what does it mean to be the type of man uh, that God created us to be, but also the type of man that the world needs right now? What does that mean? And so we've been trying to a- answer that question, but it's not a question that, that we just started. Like, it's not something that we just magically discovered. It's a question that men have been asking from the very beginning, all throughout time. We've been trying to figure out what it means to be a good man. There's something inside us that wants to, to figure out what that definition is. And throughout history, we've seen this. In fact, maybe even throughout your history, you've seen this. That we've tried to find the solution to being a good man. And we've tried to look for it in places where it wasn't. And so we thought to ourselves, as men, of course, not any of you who are here in the room today. You would never think this way. But men have thought, well, maybe I can find what it means to be a good man um, in the area of sex. If I can just... If I can just sleep with this many women, that maybe that will be what it means to be a good man. Or maybe it's about money. That if I can just earn this much more money, then, then I'll know what it feels like to be a good man. Or, or it might be power. Or it might be our career. It might be our looks. That if I could just lose this much more weight, then maybe I would know what it means to be a good man. And what we found out, and what many of you may have found out, is that none of those things will help us feel like we're a good man. They never have, they never will. And so we talked from the very beginning that it's fortunate for us that we have an operator's manual. That the individual who created us, who designed us in a very specific way, designed or sent us a, a, a manual that can help us see exactly what it takes for us to operate at peak efficiency, uh, how to troubleshoot problems when they come, and, and make sure that we are being in the world exactly the way that we were supposed to be in the world. And we looked at that, and, and last week we kind of talked about that. We said, you know, that we are supposed to be the ones who are to care for the things and the people in our lives that were entrusted to us. So our families, our wives, our children, our homes, our bodies, everything that God entrusted to us, we're supposed to take care of them for him in the same way that he would take care of them. And unfortunately, not a lot of people do that. And unfortunately, for a lot of us who have men in our lives, who've had men in our lives, uh, we didn't always have that type of man who we could look to and know that we would be loved and look to that know, and know that we would be protected and that we would be provided for. That we would have someone in our life who would encourage us and who would, who would come alongside us to hold us up and to give us strength. And... It's because a lot of times that's not what culture tells us that being a man is supposed to be like. And if we look at culture and if we listen to culture and if we watch the movies and if we listen to the music, it doesn't tell us the way that God designed men to be. 
It just doesn't. The, the way that, that it tells us is different from what God intended for us. And so throughout history, we've seen this. We've seen that when an empire or a nation has a king that doesn't rule well, the people around him suffer. And when we have a company that has a CEO that doesn't lead well, then the company and the people in the company suffer. And when we have a father who doesn't lead well, then the people in his family suffer. But last week we talked about this, and and I can't go too much into last week, and it's up online right now, so if you missed it, you can listen to it. But last week we talked about the fact that in the very beginning, God said that we were designed, we were created to reign with God. We were created to reign with God. And somewhere along the line, we went wrong. Somewhere along the line, we stopped being what God created us to be, and we let the world tell us what being a man was supposed to be. And so even today, we turn on the news and we hear talk about toxic masculinity and uh, these stories that spawned the Me Too movement and, and all of these things where we see men that take and leverage the power and authority that they have and they use it to use people and to abuse people. And they do it for their own benefit instead of the benefit of other people. And some of us know men like that. Some of us have been men like that. And every daughter prays that that's not the type of man that, or every father's daughter prays that that's not the type of man that she ends up with. And every mother's son, son's mother, prays that that's not the type of man that he grows up to be. And that's the tough part for us. So, if we know that we go wrong, the the thing that we need to look at and what we're going to kind of look at today is that how did we go wrong and where did we go wrong and how do we get back to where God wanted us to be? And how is it that we were supposed to reign? Because I think there's a sense in all men that there is something inside us that knows that we have a responsibility, that there's something that we're supposed to be doing. So the question is, if there is something we're supposed to be doing, then what is that and how do we know what it is? And where it comes from is looking at masculinity from God's perspective. Where we go off the rails is, is that if we don't look at it from God's perspective, we tend to bounce in one of two directions. We tend to use our masculinity, we tend to use our authority to either move towards tyranny or move towards passivity. We go to one place or the other. And you've seen tyranny. Because you've seen tyrannical rulers, you've seen them throughout history, but you've also seen them probably in your lives, right? They, they understand that they have authority, and so they use their authority, and, and they have an authority that was given to them by God, but they abuse that authority, and instead of leveraging that authority to take care of the kingdom, the garden that they were placed in, instead they use it to take advantage of other people. And that's what's happened, unchecked power and authority. And so when we see that tyrannical kind of reign, that tyrannical king, that, that person who, who moves towards that side of tyranny, we, we've seen it before. It's, it's a person who, who only thinks of themselves and, on, and their interests. It's a person who is insecure and is threatened by other people, especially people that have a strong personality. 
Uh, it's the type of person who, who cuts people down in order to make themselves feel like they're better than what they feel that they are. They abuse people or ignore people to get what they want. And listen, men, we have the potential, all of us have the potential to be that. And, and we, we've seen it. We've seen people in our lives who, who, who they, they, they cut people down and, and hurt people around them in order to make themselves feel better. And when they're threatened by somebody's leadership or by somebody's competence or because they don't agree to them, with them, they use subtle language to try to marginalize that person and make them feel unimportant. And they say things like, oh, you're one of those. Or, oh, I know what you are. And dismiss them and make them feel small and insignificant. It's when we see a man who listens to their pride more than their heart and they're willing to stab someone in the back. They walk around telling people to do things just because I said so. And this type of unchecked tyranny leads to emotional, physical and even sexual abuse. Because the man is operating out of a place that God never intended him to be. And we could talk and talk on and on about this and. And the reason that we're going to just talk about it right now and we're going to stop right here is this, is that we've all seen it. And we know that it's dangerous. You've seen it in your lives. You've seen it in people in your lives. And we know that that kind of tyrannical um, masculinity, that toxic masculinity is dangerous. But today I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about the other side of it. Because the other side is more subtle. It's more sneaky. And it is a form of masculinity, of toxic masculinity, that seems harmless. But we don't recognize that it is actually even more dangerous. So last week, uh, or two weeks ago, I gave everybody a homework assignment. I, see, I said, read the first three chapters of the Bible. That's Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so last week, we kind of talked through that. And we, we went through 1, 2, and 3, and... and And we left at the place right before all of the excitement happened. And so we're going to pick up there today. And we're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 3. This is the third chapter of the Bible. And in verse 6. And right here what's happening is this. Um, Eve, who was the wife of Adam. And remember last week for most of the time that we were talking together, she hadn't showed up. It was just Adam. He was the only one there. And so Eve had been talking to the serpent and the serpent and her and uh, had been exchanging words. And and so she took the fruit. And remember, we talked last week about the fact that no one knows what kind of fruit that was. I have an idea, but no one knows. Right. And so this is where we leave off in the story. And it says and so he, he Eve had just taken a bite of the fruit. And then the author of Genesis tells us this. It says, then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now, oftentimes we ask and we look at and we say, okay, what was the first sin? And we talk about the fact that Eve ate the apple, eating the apple or the quince or the fig or whatever it was, the fruit. We talk about the fact that eating the fruit was was the first sin. 
But I believe, and many people believe, that the first sin was not Eve eating the fruit. It was Adam's passivity. Adam not exercising his, his, and leveraging his masculinity. His passivity here was, his, was the very first sin. Because remember, Eve wasn't there when God said, don't eat that fruit. Women, you're off the hook. Eve wasn't there. When God said, don't, you can eat of any of the other fruit except for this one. Eve wasn't there. Adam was the only one that heard it. And so here's Adam who is with her. He's with her. He's watching this exchange between her and the serpent. He's watching her. She, he can see her brain moving and he can see the look in her eyes and he knows that he's going, she's going to do something. He watches her take the fruit. He watches her eat it. He's with her and he doesn't do a thing. He could have stepped in. He could have said something. He could have tried to stop her. He could have tried to convince her. But instead, he's just sitting there. And listen, men, it's easy for us to look at this story and to say, when it was all her fault, she, she was the one who did it. And we, if we were in that same place, we probably would have done the same thing. Because we do it all the time. We look at the people in our lives that God has entrusted to us and we come to this place where we're tired and we're frustrated and we, we know that there is something that we have to do, but we're too tired and we've had a long day and you have no idea what this week has been like and you have no clue what my boss did to me today. And we throw up our hands and we say, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. I don't have to deal with it. And so we check out. We sit on the couch and turn on Netflix or we watch sports or we get on our phones or we pull out our Xbox and we justify it. And we talk about our jobs and how hard they are and our week and how bad it's been. And, and we say to ourselves, man, I deserve to unplug for a little while. Let everything happen that's going to happen and what the result is, is that we leave the people who we're supposed to be the one protecting, who have been entrusted into our care, the people who are around us in the garden that God placed us in. We leave them alone and we say, it's not my problem. And then we'll say, if something goes wrong and everything just explodes, we put our hands up and we say, well, since it's not my problem, it's not my fault. And that's the second place that we go. That's the path that we go. In fact, this is Adam's reaction to his passivity. In, in, verse, in verse 8, it goes on and it says this. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing. And I love this because, see, right before this, Adam and Eve, they recognize that they um, are naked. And so they grab some fig leaves and they make themselves some clothes. And, and the wind... The cool evening breeze is blowing. So they're like freaking out because their leaf things are going like this. Right? They're in the garden. The wind is blowing. And it says, and the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And when I was growing up, we lived in a two-story house, just not too many miles from here. And uh, we had the very first um, 
electric garage door openers. Now, I know the ones today are really cool. They're belt-driven, they're silent, they're quiet. But in my day, when you turned on the electric garage door opener, the entire house would shake. And so when I was growing up, we would come home after school, and invariably, me and my brothers would do something wrong that we knew that when my parents got home, we would get in trouble. We knew it. And so we would just say, okay, well, there's nothing we can do. We'd play around. But then out of nowhere, eventually, every single night, we would hear the electric garage door opener. It would start to rumble and the whole house would shake. And we all knew that it was about to go down. And we hid. It's 6,000 years later and nothing has changed. They heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And what do they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now, can you see this? They've got the leaves flapping. They hear God walking and they run over here and they're hiding behind the tree. Now, God is God. Right? God sees everything. So when God is there, and in verse 9 it says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He wasn't calling to the man because he didn't know where he was. Right? God knew exactly where he was. This wasn't a, where are you, like Marco Polo, I want to find you. He's looking at this guy and he sees him and his wife trying to hide behind a tree with their fig leaf things blowing in the cool breeze. And he's like, what are you doing? Where are you? And so Adam replies, he says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, you ever wonder why he says I was afraid because I was naked? I, I mean, you know, when you're naked, you know you're naked. But usually people aren't afraid when they're naked. Usually they're embarrassed when they're naked, right? Like if, if, if you suddenly found yourself like in the middle of the mall and naked, you know. <laughs> See, some of you are laughing because you're imagining it. Now, listen, <laughs> you would be embarrassed. You, would be, you wouldn't be afraid. You see, Adam knew that he had done something wrong. And he knew that the result of it was that he knew now that he was naked. I was afraid of you, God. Because I was naked. And God was like, I think at this point, God's like messing with him, right? So he goes, um, he says, uh, who told you that, that you were naked? Who told you? Who said to you that you were naked? Now, the reason that this question is important is this. They weren't like clothed. And then all of a sudden, when they ate the fruit, they became naked. They were naked the entire time. There was just nothing in them that made them embarrassed about it, that made them fearful of it. And so when God says, hey, who told you that you were naked? He's saying, listen, who told you that it was any problem with you being naked? There's something about us that wants to be. Any of you who've ever had a one, two or three year old, you know what they're like. They want to be naked. They run around, they're taking their clothes off, they think it's hilarious. I mean, that's just what we want to do. Who told you we were naked? And then God, knowing exactly what happened, 
Having seen already what happened, he says this. He says, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? In other words, he's saying, listen, did you do the one thing that I told you not to do? Did you do that? And Adam, because Adam is suffering from this passive masculinity, when God says to him, did you do what I told you, what I, I, what I specifically said not to do? Did you do that? Adam says, don't look at me. It's her fault. Right? He says, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Think about this. It's this person that you burdened me with. That's the reason why. It's this person who I know I was supposed to be the one to take care of her, to protect her. That's the reason why. And listen, men, we don't protect women because they're helpless. We protect women because they're important. And that's what we're missing today. That's what we were missing like on the very first week. It's what we were missing. Because we have a responsibility to take care of what is in our garden. What is in the kingdom that we've been entrusted to. And so here's Adam and he goes through the whole thing and he says, it's not my problem. It's not my fault. And now what does he say? It's not my responsibility. And this is what men go through Over and over again, this is a timeless problem. And until we figure it out, men will ping pong back and forth between tyranny and passivity. Trying to find the way and the place where they're supposed to be. Trying to find the place where... Where God intended us to be. And remember that God's intention was for us to be in a place where we love and take care of the things that are around us the same way that God would want to do it. And so the only place really that we can go to see what was God's plan for us. Men, what God had intended for us as far as how we're supposed to use our masculinity. The only way for us to see that is to look in the operator's manual. And see the healthy version of God-designed masculinity. And the one place that we can see it is in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was God-made man. Jesus was the one who designed us. Jesus was the one who came down here and lived a perfect life. Which means he and his life is an example of what it means to have God-designed, to exercise God-designed masculinity. And to reign with God. Because that's what we were designed to do. We were designed to reign. Like kings. With God. And if Jesus who in scripture is referred to as the king of kings. If he's the one that we're supposed to reign with. Then perfect masculinity had to be in him. It had to be in who he was. And the problem I think that we have. Is that when we think of Jesus. We don't normally think of the most masculine person. And part of that is. Is that every picture of Jesus that we see. He looks like this. He has long flowing hair. And he's wearing a white robe. And, and he, 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 you look at it and you're just, it's not, what we expect when we see masculinity is big muscles, right? 
a, a big truck, a chainsaw, an axe, a, a lot of meat. And instead, this is the picture. And this is nothing at all what Jesus looked like. But that's the picture that we get. So instead of looking at the pictures, and there's nothing wrong with the picture. I'm just saying that it doesn't reflect the type of masculinity that we think of today. So instead of looking at the pictures, let's look at what Scripture tells us about who Jesus is. And look at the life of Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he wrote a letter to the, the church and the group of Christians that, that were in a city, an ancient city called Philippi. And he wrote this letter to them, and he said this to them about what it means to be like Jesus. And for us today, what it means to have God-designed masculinity the way that Jesus had it. So Paul writes this. He says, you must have the same attitude that, G- that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. In other words, he's saying you have to be the same as Jesus was. And then he says this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, listen, here's what we recognize. Here's God, here's us. And here's Jesus who was God. And he didn't need to always be up here. In fact, instead of being up here, he came down to where we were. He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. It says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And that phrase, gave up his divine privileges, is is literally translated as emptied himself. In other words, everything that was in him, all that divinity that was in him, all that God power, that what made God God that was in him, he allowed all of that to leave him. And says he did this, he took the humble position of a slave And was born as a human being. And it says when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God. And died a criminal's death. On the cross. He was a servant. A slave. He served other people. He was humble. And he was self-sacrificing. He put the needs of other people. Ahead of his own. The best definition that I have read, well, actually, I didn't read it. I heard it, um, was from a, uh, a conference, and there was a speaker, and his, he, he was a pastor there, and this is what he said as, as the definition of masculinity. He said that God-designed masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. God-designed masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. In other words, I would be happy to sacrifice myself on your behalf. That is what God has put and called us as men to. To take the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And men, listen, if you're listening to me, if you're, if you're watching us online and, and you're listening to this wor- these words and you really understood what that means, the glad assumption, 
right? Not the reluctant assumption, but the glad assumption of what type of responsibility? Sacrificial responsibility. So if you really figure out what that means, and that's going to make you pause for a moment. You're going to feel that for a moment. And every man who understood what that means, man, listen, there's something in you that just wants to grit your teeth and nod your head because you know that is exactly what it's supposed to be. I mean, there's something in that that resonates with us that, yes, this is what we were created for. And that every woman also nods her head and says, yes, man, if, if we could just operate out of that place, what an amazing world we would have. What an amazing family we would have. What an amazing relationship we would have if we were both moving in that place. God designed men and he designed us for something. And we know that he designed us for something. But in that design, there is no room for passivity. There's no room for tyranny, but there's no room for us to disengage from the place that we have been placed And to let our responsibility move to other people because that responsibility was given specifically to us. And as much as we want to just close our eyes and sit on the sidelines and hope that the problem goes away, it's not going to. Because it's our problem and it's our responsibility. And everything that we're supposed to be is in that phrase. Everything is there. We are supposed to be identical to what the people around us need. In other words, what the people around us need for them to flourish is supposed to be what we want. Everything that we move and act towards is supposed to be for the purpose of everyone and everything around us to be able to be at the best that they can be. It's what we were made for. It's. It's what will help us stand taller. It's what will help us walk with our shoulders back and our head a little bit higher. When we know and we recognize that this is what we were supposed to do. But it's not easy to do. It is a long journey. But all long journeys are made up of little steps that we take over and over again. Little tiny steps end up being the long journey. And so we wrap up this series that we called Man Up with a call for us as men to man up. And Man Up, I looked it up. The the definition for Man Up is this. Taking action to honor your responsibilities. That's what it means. It means that we as men need to take some action to honor our responsibilities. That we have to get off the couch. That we have to get in the game. That we have to get off our phones. And turn off the TVs. And do something. See, men... It's funny because Jeffrey was talking earlier about the Avengers. And, you know, the biggest population, of course, to watch superhero movies are young men. You know why young men love superhero movies? Because men were created to be naturally heroic. It's something in us. We, we take the bullet for somebody else. We dive on the grenade for somebody else. And the thought of doing that, we go, yeah, of course I would do that because that's what it means to be a man. We're, we understand that sacrifice. 
You know, whenever I do a wedding, I, I always talk about, uh, there, there's a verse in scripture where it says that you give your life for somebody else, right? And that some people might give their lives for, for a good person, but for not a bad person. And in marriage, when you marry somebody, you have to give your life, you have to be willing to give your life to a person. Well, the problem that we have in that is, is that it's easy to give your life. I mean, it's not easy like, oh, sure, I'll do it, you know, shoot me. Not that kind of easy. What I'm talking about is it's so much easier to give your life up for someone else than it is to give your lifestyle up for someone else. See, we'll dive on the grenade, but please, please, please do not leave the cap off the shampoo bottle in the shower. Right? We will do the big heroic things, but the parts of our lifestyle that we've become accustomed to that make us feel comfortable, it's those things that are hard for us to let go of. And those are the things that we have to let go of. When we get to this place where where, where we start saying to ourselves, as Adam did in the very beginning, as we still do now, it is just as relevant in the first few days of history as it is in the first few days of this week. That we get to this place where, where we start looking around and we say, listen, I know that there's something that I need to do, but it's not my problem. And then when everything goes haywire, we say, it's not my fault. And when everybody looks to us, we think it's not my responsibility. Listen, it happens to all of us. We all go through it. We all feel that way. The difference is that in God-designed masculinity, we let that come, we feel that, that, that come over us, and then we man up. We don't let it hold us there. We take that and we move forward from there. We don't just let it stay there. And I know we're tired and I know we're stressed and we have reason to be tired and we have reason to be stressed. But we can't let that stop us from being who God designed us to be. Paul wrote, later continued on and, and he said this. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. In other translations, that phrase deep reverence and fear is a fear and trembling. It's not like anxiety. It's not fear like scared. It's, it's more of like that feeling, that spine-tingling feeling that you get, that, that breathtaking feeling that you get. That breathtaking feeling that you get when, you, when you're standing on, on the edge of the, of, of the skyscraper and you, you get to look down and you go, hold on a second. Right? Or, or when you're at the, at the, at the Grand Canyon and, and you can hear the wind blow and everybody is just so quiet because it's so amazing. And you, you just pause for a minute and you can feel it right here. Some of us, we felt it when we got married and, and she held our hand and we heard her say, I do. Or when we held our first child and, and that very first moment that, that she looked up at us with one eye. And we knew that feeling. That's the feeling. That's the spine-tingling, breathtaking feeling. And Paul says, listen, we have to work hard and obey God with that spine-tingling feeling. And he says, this is how we do it. He says, for, because God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. 
God is working in you. Men, God is working in you. And I don't care what culture says. I don't care what TV says. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what your dad told you. God is working in you in the same that he's working in me. And listen, it is the only way. Understanding that God is the one that is working in us is the only way that we will be able to step up to that sacrificial responsibility that God calls us to. And I know it feels like a lot. And I know that it feels like so much pressure. But God's promise is, is that he is the one who is going to do it because he is the one that is working in you. God wants to parent your children, but he only wants to do it through you. God wants to love and adore your wife, but he only wants to do it through you. God wants to take your business and your company and make it the most successful company that there ever was. But he'll only do that in and through you. Through the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And when we get that, when we understand that that is who God created us to be, And that in the moments when we think that we can't do it anymore, it's not our strength, it's not us, but it is God's working in and through us that lets us take that little step every day. You don't have to solve all the problems. You don't have to figure everything out. You just have to wake up in the morning and take that step. And it will be what God does in you. And when you get that, when you think about What God wants to accomplish through you, man. That is that spine-tingling, take-my-breath-away moment. But it's also that moment where you'll give God an opportunity to do something different in your life. And when we understand that that's who we were made up, man, it is an honor to be a man. It's an honor to be a man. And we should be glad that God made us the way that he did. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.